Amen. Thank you, worship team. Uh, once again, good morning. My name is Brady Zimmer, and welcome to Northfield Christian Fellowship. Please turn with me to John chapter 20. It's page 906 in your pew Bible in front of you. Um, I noticed we ran out of bulletins, but if you do have a, a bulletin, there are also some notes in the back of it if you want to follow along with those as well. And while you turn there, let me pray for our time together. Father, we thank you for what today means for us who are following you, who have been saved by your grace. We give you all the praise and glory. And so today, Lord, I pray that we would see this in a fresh way. And Lord, I also pray for those in here who are questioning, who are suffering, who are struggling, um, who are wondering what all of this is about. By your spirit, Lord, meet them in this place. Even now as I pray this prayer, touch them and allow them to understand who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today, as is obvious, is Easter. It's a resurrection day. And as Christians, we have many reasons to celebrate today. And so before I get into what we believe happened on that Sunday almost 2,000 years ago now, this week I asked Noah, my three-year-old son, what he believed about Jesus. And he responded with this, quote, Jesus is alive and he's big and strong and tough, just like a construction worker. <laughs> it's not bad. I'll take it. Um, shout out to Jesus and maybe uh, shout out to the construction workers as well. So to add to Noah's list, um, mine aren't as, maybe as fun as his, but uh, we believe that God himself became a human in the person of Jesus. He died for our sins, but three days later rose from the dead. We believe that by rising from the dead, Jesus conquered death, meaning death no longer has power in this world like it previously did. We believe that on that Sunday, the victory was won, amen? Jesus defeated the enemy, the devil himself, and all the forces and powers of evil and darkness. We believe that Jesus' resurrection is only the first fruits, meaning that all who believe in him will also be raised from the dead. And lastly, we believe that Jesus offers us new life, not just in the future, but right now, so that no matter what you're facing right now, restoration and new life is possible. And that's what I want you to remember this morning, okay? This statement that I'm going to say multiple times is this, Jesus' resurrection overcomes our sadness, fear, and doubt. There were many different responses, responses to Jesus' resurrection, okay? And in this chapter, John chapter 20, we're going to look at three of them. So John 20, starting in verse 1, I encourage you to follow along in your Bible. Um, they will also be on the screen as well. Here we go. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, 
and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and not surprisingly, he went right in. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one on the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to him, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Our first response we're going to focus on is Mary's, okay? Mary didn't fully comprehend that Jesus had to die, but that he would also be raised back to life. I like to think that she had unmet expectations of what Jesus was to do on this earth. Maybe unmet expectations would be an accurate couple of words to describe your life. You're drowning right now in sadness and despair. You don't understand what's going on. The question why is one that you ask often. If this is you, like Mary, I believe that Jesus wants to call you by name. Notice that Mary did not physically recognize Jesus at first. And we're not sure why. This scripture doesn't say But I wonder, had the sun not risen and therefore it was still too dark to see well? Did Jesus look different than he had before his death? Did her sadness and despair cloud her judgment? Did Jesus not allow her to see who he really was at first? Regardless of the reason, when Jesus said her name, it changed everything. Mary. In John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And he says this, and it'll be on the screen, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Mary knows the voice of her shepherd. 
And so if, if you've experienced tragedy recently, if you've lost a loved one, if you're sad and confused because life isn't what you thought it would be, Jesus knows you by name. He created you. And he is calling to you. But you may be thinking and you may say, yeah, but, but I don't have the resurrected Jesus right in front of me. I think that's where all of us come into play. In, in some sense, we are Jesus to one another by offering peace and comfort to one another during tough times. We allow each other to realize that we are seen, that we are known, and that we are heard in the midst of our hardship. However, I'll just be real, unfortunately, that still doesn't guarantee that our sadness will be completely taken away in this life. But we believe that we can live with faith knowing that one day we will see Jesus' face just like Mary did. And our sadness will be dealt with completely. Jesus' resurrection overcame Mary's sadness. Our second verse, look at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Okay, the the disciples locked the doors for fear of the Jews. Okay, just three days ago, these disciples had their leader killed. And so they have to be thinking, are we next? Um, for us, at this current moment, we have the luxury of living in a place and a time where our life is not in danger because of our faith in Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we don't have fears. I'm sure all of us right now could think of something that we're afraid of, something that we're fearful of. I was actually praying through and studying this part of the chapter in the hospital waiting room at OSF. My youngest son, Isaac, uh, was having surgery. I took my computer to make the most of my time while I was waiting. Uh, He went in to have a hernia repaired, and the simple procedure was supposed to take about 30 minutes. An hour and 15 minutes after surgery had started, a woman came up to Elizabeth and I and asked us to follow her. And then she proceeded to put us into a consultation room. As you can imagine, my mind started to go crazy. Why was this routine surgery taking so long? Why were we in a consultation room and not a recovery room? The surgeon eventually came and shared that there was not a hernia, and instead what he believed to be a vascular malformation. He assured us that there wasn't anything to be worried about at this time, but he wanted to do some further imaging. 
And so before he came in, in the midst of unexpected waiting, fear was, was coming to the surface of my heart. I have to admit, my mind started going to the worst case scenarios. However, I don't think it was an accident that I was preparing for my sermon that morning and specifically praying through the fear of the disciples. And even though my situation was so much different than John chapter 20, in that moment I was comforted by Jesus' words to his disciples in verse 19. Peace be with you. I had a sense of God's presence in that room. I'll be honest, I still had a lot of anxiety, but I had a deeper reality that I was trusting. Trusting God's promises to us as his children. Not promising that everything was going to be okay necessarily. Okay, hear me. But promising that he was going to be with us and that he was going to give us peace that surpasses all understanding. This morning, he wants to say the same thing to you. And so what are you fearful of? What's causing you anxiety right now in your life? He meets us in our fear and anxiety and speaks calm yet powerful words that say, peace be with you. Jesus' resurrection overcame the disciples' fear. And our last response is Thomas's. Look at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All right, Jesus appears to his disciples on the Sunday that he rose. Okay, there's only one problem. Thomas isn't there. And Thomas is your classic left-brained, analytical, skeptical, prove-it-to-me kind of guy. He's often known as Doubting Thomas. And so naturally, Thomas doesn't believe the other disciples when they tell him, hey, Jesus is really alive. And so a week later, the next Sunday, Jesus comes back and he tells Thomas to touch his hands and to touch his side. This is Jesus offering proof. This is Jesus meeting Thomas where he is at, going out of his his way to love Thomas by proving that the rumors are true. And the good news is Thomas doesn't need any more proof. He doesn't need to touch Jesus physically. Seeing is enough, and he now believes. 
I think in our culture right now, we have a growing number of Thomases. And so maybe you're not following Jesus this morning, and you have a lot of doubt about all of this. The secular narrative that says, what I can see is all there is, is pretty compelling to you. But if you're at all open to any of this, ask Jesus right now to show you his hands and to show you his side. Ask him to reveal himself to you. I know that he wants to meet you in your doubt and in your skepticism. Or maybe believing this story isn't the hang-up. Maybe you've been hurt by the church or by people who claim to be Christians, and so you doubt whether or not God is actually good. Or maybe you've experienced tragedy, and so you're doubting whether or not God is actually powerful. Can I just say that Jesus isn't disturbed by your doubt? I believe this because I believe that doubt isn't antithetical to faith. Okay, it's not opposed to faith. Faith is choosing to trust even when there is doubt. Faith is not just an intellectual exercise. Faith is also belief in action. And so I think you can have faith even in your doubt. It only becomes a problem when you choose your doubt over your faith in Jesus. Jesus wants to meet you in your questions. He wasn't afraid of Thomas's questions, and he's not afraid of yours. Jesus' resurrection overcame Thomas's doubt. And so, what is our response this morning? Who are you? Are you like Mary? And you're someone who's lived a life of unmet expectations. You're confused. You're sad. Jesus wants to find you. He wants to find you in that sadness. He wants to pick up your head from looking down in despair. And he wants to call you by name. And he wants to say to you, I am alive. Or are you like the disciples riddled with fear? Fear of the unknown, fear of social settings, fear of losing a loved one, of a difficult situation in the near future. Jesus wants you to see his face and he wants to say to you, I am alive and peace be with you. Or lastly, are you left-brained and your life is marked by doubt and skepticism? You're so analytical that Believing someone can actually be raised from the dead is difficult for you. I get it. But Jesus wants to show you his nail-scarred hands. He wants to show you his side where he was pierced. And he wants to say to you, it's really me. I am alive. Regardless of who you are, this message is good news because Jesus' resurrection overcomes our sadness our fear, and our doubt. And so as we come to a close this morning, um, I believe that this message has three major implications. The first is this. 
This message changes our life right here, right now, today. You don't have to wait until the next life to experience new life. Paul writes about this in Romans 6. He says this in verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Quick side note. We may think that Paul's going to say, we also will be raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. No, what does he say? He says, we too might walk in the newness of life. Paul believes that when we decide to follow Jesus and are saved by his grace, a new freedom and a new life begins in that moment. We don't have to wait to be raised from the dead. And so, how do we do this? How do we walk in the newness of life? First, as we looked at on Good Friday, we need to repent and believe. That is foundational. Okay? But then after that, how do we do that? If we've been a Christian for a really long time, what do we do? In the words of John Mark Comer, he says this, If you want the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want newness of life, if you want to be a person marked by love, joy, and peace, you have to do the things that give you love, joy, and peace and allow you to give others love, joy, and peace, all by God's grace and by his spirit. Simply put, find yourself doing what Jesus did. Find yourself in prayer, in scripture reading, in generosity towards others, in simple living, in observing a regular Sabbath, and do all of this in community, and you will begin to discover what it means to walk in the newness of life. And that leads to my second implication, which is this. We are sent. We are sent. Okay, Jesus sent Mary, a woman, to go and be the first to tell others of the good news. And then Jesus tells his other disciples, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus sends his followers. And church, I know this is so cliche to say, but if this whole story that we're celebrating this morning is true, this is the best news possible. And so no matter what our current cultural moment is or if we have hesitations about sharing the good news, Jesus sends us to do that very thing. Each one of us has heard the gospel because someone else obeyed the command to share the gospel. And now it's our turn. There's a watching world who needs to hear that Jesus is alive. And then maybe... More importantly, they need to see us actually live like we believe it to be true. We are sent. And last implication, if you have been saved and made alive in Christ, we believe that we will spend eternity with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in the new heavens and new earth. And contrary to popular belief, this will not be some disembodied reality 
where we will just float around on clouds and sing 19th century hymns or Hillsong United, whichever you prefer. No, this will be much more like our current life, except there will be no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, no more sin, and no more death. And instead, we will have complete joy and peace with God himself and with every other human being there. This is our future hope. This is our future reality for all who believe. And so this week, when you're tempted to only focus on what you can see right in front of you, know that this isn't all there is. That we're living with and for something greater. And one day we will become aware of it all. And one day we will see his face and all will be made right by him. Jesus' resurrection overcomes our sadness, our fear, and our doubt. And he sends us to share the good news in both word and deed to a world who desperately and deeply need him. Let's pray. Father, you are good. And God, I pray that you would meet us in this place. Uh, Father, I pray that if it's only just for one person, that this would not just be another Easter, another Resurrection Sunday, but that you would meet someone in their sadness, pick up their face, look at them, that you would meet somebody in their fear, allow them to know that you are with them, and that you would meet somebody in their skepticism who's been hurt by the church, who doubts your existence, whatever it may be, show them your hands in this moment, Father. God, we love you. And as we close with this last song, Lord, I pray that we would have authentic worship, not caring about what anyone else thinks but you. And so, God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen.